Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to come to this beautiful place that you've given us to come to. Your children, Lord, here in one place to give you praise and glory and honor and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that they be helped today, healed everywhere they hurt, empowered by your promises, loved and know it by you, and prospered in every way. And then let them go and help others with that same help they've received, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People love to hear about the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Me too. The number for grace is five. If you read my book. You know, I was born five, five, sixty-five, the youngest of five. And then when I began the ministry, when he really got a hold of me, he had to beat me over the head with fives. Once I learned that five was the number for grace, because I was so condemned and so beat up, so bad off, you know, spiritually and mentally in my soul. I didn't think much of myself, and that's not a good place to minister from. <laughs> he needed to get me to understand it, so he beat me over the head with it. Everywhere I went, I stepped on a $5 bill. I'd never found a $5 bill before. I was heading to a Bible study from some people at my church who were very legalistic. I knew it. And it was going to be on the book of Revelation. And uh, everywhere I went, all around the country, there were wonderful prophecies being spoken over me. and Wonderful things were happening. But... The message the Lord was teaching me was altogether different than what I was hearing everywhere I went. And as somebody who didn't know all the scriptures that people 30 years in the ministry knew, it was very hard for me to come against them. Not that I wanted to come against them, but I just wanted to tell them the, the good news that God was sharing with me. And then they'd come up and read. Rebuff, you know, you know, they'd come against everything that I said. Anyway, I was on my way to this, <laughs> this person's house to talk about the book of Revelation. And I'd, be, I'd, I'd seen the truth. I started to read Revelation and go, awesome! <laughs> Didn't scare me anymore, you see. Because I knew the good news. And I was like... Telling my wife, she, I said, in the, in the car, I'm like, honey, I, you know, the Lord is teaching me about grace and His truth and His love and all these wonderful things, and nobody, everybody, everybody we're involved with in ministry, I said, it's hard. They're all coming against me. I don't know what to do sometimes. And, a, and we're sitting at a red light. And at that, about that time, what, you know how people paint with shoe polish in the windows for their kids for all the events they go through? This big suburban pulls across right in front of us and says, Go, Will, number five. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And my wife, she's so cool. She's like, see? <laughs> Every time she tells me something, God will do something like that. I didn't want to buy my new truck in 2015 when I got it. I was too cheap. She said, no, you need to get a new one. you got to have a good one for your work and everything. And I said, well, I'll test drive it. And we went around the, the uh, feeder road one time. We were heading back to past the Tomball Dodge to go back to Tomball, uh, I mean Ford to go back to Tomball Dodge. And a bald eagle flew right across in front of my truck. Tomball. She looked at me, she goes, Guess it's your truck. I guess you're right. We love to hear about the grace of God, but you know, most of us are really, whether we admit it or not, still trying to live under the law. I usually don't get much of a show of hands on something like that. But we are. We're trying to be good and do good to get good from God. Mm -hmm. And then we fail. Amen. As we all do. And then we're left feeling condemned and rejected. And you know what that leads to? Anger, bitterness, depression, and all the traps of the devil. Yeah. You say amen or owe me, but I know. (laughs) People are interesting characters. We hate to be told what to do. I remember I was watching that show American Idol one time, which I hate the name. Some people don't even think you should watch it, which is fine. Don't watch it if you don't want to. I don't. I really don't, but I was watching it one time. That's back when they had uh, the singer from uh, Aerosmith that I loved growing up so much. Steven Tyler was one of the judges. And uh, one of the kids was up there, and he he had told them, nobody wants to be preached at. I said, you know, he's right, I know. Nobody wants to be preached at. (laughs) Proverbs 5 says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. All these good things, right? You skip down to verse 11, it says, lest, in other words, if you don't, at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof or correction. I put down several of these scriptures for you. Psalm fifty seventeen: For you hate my instruction and cast my words behind you, says the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. A fool is just someone who thinks they can live apart from God. Amen. Proverbs one twenty two. How long, O simple ones, will you love your simple ways? How long will scoffers delight in the scorn and fools hate knowledge? 
Proverbs one twenty five. Because you neglected all my counsel and wanted none of my correction. Proverbs twelve one. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> The Bible said that. (laughs) Stupid. No gray areas with the Lord. (laughs) Take a theologian to screw that one up. (laughs) Stupid because we hate to be told what to do is what he's saying. Then... When we do think about God, we say, well, we're going to have to do some things to please Him to keep from going to hell. Everybody thinks about God. They decide if they believe in Him or not. And then when they do realize they do, there's a God and they're not Him, they say, okay, what do I got to do to keep from going to hell? And then... We try to please Him by being good, getting good, and then we fail. We get condemned, we get frustrated, and when we get condemned and frustrated, what do we do? We run right into the devil's arms instead of to the one that can help us and that loves us. But the thing is, God was never trying to be mean. He was never trying to take anything good away from you. He's always loved you. He's always Trying to help you. To direct you. To guide you. To keep you from falling into the pit that the devil has dug for you. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Are y'all with me? Okay. (laughs) It'll get better. (laughs) I I don't know why the Lord has always done that with me. It's 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 just. (laughs) I remember this this uh, bishop that I know. He lives in Tennessee, but he was he was there one night when I was I was just a. A year or two into my ministry, and there was a, I went, I was invited to a church, and and there was going to be a lot of other preachers there, and and the place was full, and I was invited to to minister, and and I preached a message, and to me it seemed like, like, uh, sort of like watching paint dry, you know, and probably to the other folks too, and then the Lord just, at the end, it culminated, right? Into this big crescendo, right? Into this culmination of, uh, of everything. And God summarized it all. And I looked up and everybody in the place was on the floor weeping. Everyone was, they call slain in the spirit, I guess. And I had never witnessed that before, and I didn't know what to do. So I just went and sat down after a minute. (laughs) 
and after a while, you know, they all started getting up and and uh, and God had done done His work. But this bishop came over to me and said, "Oh, Will, he he always hits you with that sucker punch." <laughs> this is creeping along and then pow! <laughs> I said, I don't intend to. That's just how it works out. Romans 4. Chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Wow. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. You know, Jesus took away the law, nailing it to the cross. Turn the page, look at chapter 5, starting at the first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified, we who are believers have been justified. That's that word, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If we're trying to relate to God based on the law, based on doing right, or at least doing better than the hypocrites down at church, <laughs> then our faith is non-productive. Void, is what it says. No. And the promise of God is made of none effect. Do you get the gravity of that? No, I guess not. All right, let me keep going. (laughs) 
if the promise is of none effect and the provision of God is in the promises, the provision for peace, for prosperity, for healing, physical, spiritual, and emotional, Because chapter 4, verse 15 said, The law brings wrath, fear of rejection, judgment. This is different than the fear of the Lord that we're supposed to have, the reverent awe and respect and honor that we're supposed to have for God. Amen. I'm talking about the law which the Bible says actually strengthens sin. Did you know that? Do you know Christians were never meant to be under the law? God didn't even really want it for His own people. The Hebrews at the time. But the law strengthens sin. I I can't go there right now because I'll preach this message. Just trust me or look it up. Better yet. You do like I did. I almost forgot to come to church today. I got in the Word. And man, I started having such a great time with the Lord this morning. I had four other messages I was going to minister. (laughs) Yesterday I sat down and I did the same thing for five hours. I looked up and I was like, oh my goodness, I better cook dinner. The law strengthens sin. And it's instilled in us from birth, though, isn't it? And especially in this life, all of our relationships do good, get good, do bad, get likewise. Our marriages, our friendships, our work, right? So it's taught to us. So when... God tells us that it's no longer based on that. It's, it's no wonder we get a little confused. And you know what? We run back to it because it's safe. It feels safe. I'll just be good. Then I'll be accepted. I, I grew up in a house like that. I remember. I'll do good and I'll get good. So I'm not bad and I don't get beat. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Are you under grace? You ask, okay, so don't keep the law? That's what they asked Paul, right? People that really understand grace understand that if people don't ever ask you that question, then they don't really, you're not really preaching grace. (laughs) But you say, so I don't have to keep the law? You're not under the law. What part of that didn't you understand? You're not under the law. If sin dominates you, you are still under the law. 
Sin shall not dominate you because you are no longer under the law but under grace. So if sin is still dominating you in your soulish realm, in your mind, you are under the law. You have placed yourself under the law. Usually get one amen or two. <laughs> Folks, we get legalistic in our own minds and and we might be the biggest proponents of the grace of God. The grace of God has set you free and, and, and made you seek out a place like this where they don't condemn you and tell you that God puts sickness on you and divorce and strife and all that and we just love Jesus. The kind of place where, you know, I, I love the story about the going to minister to the guy who was on his sick bed on his wife's request, you know, and and, and, and talking to him and said, do you want to do you want to pray? And he said, well, I never learned how to do all that. You see all that chair right there? He said, I just pretend Jesus is sitting there and I talk to him every day for half an hour or so, a couple times a day. Pretty good prayer. If we're living out of the soulish realm, it's a little messed up. That's what we try to. That's what we're trying to renew here by the washing of the water of the Word. Amen. Amen. It's unrenewed until this Word gets in there and you get in agreement with it. It's been screwed up by the input of the world. Yeah. And you need this Word, and you need glasses to read it. <laughs> Not really. Although I didn't need glasses until I read it 16 hours a day for three years. I'm not blaming you. He's still going to fix this. He's already fixed it. I just have to receive it. Amen. What I'm saying is you need to see it through the new covenant lenses of grace. You know, you can still read this New Testament and still... Read it in a legalistic way. And you can read the Old Covenant. If you really are looking through the New Covenant lenses of grace. You can read the Old Covenant and all the awful things that happened there. And you can say, praise God, thank you Jesus, that you have delivered me from that. <laughs> and you can see all the beautiful types and shadows which will even elaborate more on some of the details of the New Covenant that you couldn't see before. It's all about Jesus. It's just in type and shadow in the old covenant. But there's definitely a different covenant now, folks. That blank page between Matthew and Malachi, it's more than just a blank page. <laughs> Romans 1.16 says, Paul said it and I love it. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Literally means the good news or 
there's there's really not a word to to translate. It's almost too good to be true news. The gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. He said. And do you know that word? The gospel right there used in Romans 1.16 is used interchangeably with the word grace. If you find it in Acts 20 verse 24 and Galatians 1.5. Same word for grace and the gospel. The gospel, the good news, the grace of God is the power of God. That, that, that Greek word for power is dunamis where we get dynamite. Yeah. Amen. The gospel, the good news. You know, I can tell you, if you don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, that's all true. God disapproves of those things. That's the truth, isn't it? If you're not born again, you're going to go to hell and burn. True. Not the gospel. People say truth and they say that's the gospel. That's not what it means. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for you. The gospel is what Jesus has done independent of your performance. And it's available to you free of charge. If you don't have power... If you don't have the dunamis power in you to overcome sin, to overcome sickness, poverty, or any other aspect of the curse, then you're really not operating under grace. Amen, Romy. Titus 2.11 Timothy Titus, back in the back. Boy, I hope y'all are just enthralled in this. Otherwise, I'm going to start passing out espresso. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. First of all, you see that the grace of God which brings salvation, the King James read, has appeared to all men. Now, are all men saved? But the grace of God has come. It has, has appeared to all men. Why? Aren't they all saved? It's God's will that they all be saved. If the sovereignty of God is preached like it is in half the churches in this country today, where, hey, whatever happens, that's God's will. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. That's great for all the people listening to that sermon sitting in that beautiful church. But what about... The prostitute downtown or the crackhead in the crack house. Is that where he's supposed to be too? Guess God teaching him a lesson or something. 
trying to make a preacher cuss. I'm just saying, folks. The light bulbs need to come on. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What has appeared? The grace of God. And what does it do? It teaches us, it trains us to live godly lives. Well, I had some people destroy church one time and said because they said, "Oh, we're under grace, man. Do the best I can. Jesus covered the rest." I said, "You don't. You're not under grace. Not doing the things you're doing and calling it grace. Grace doesn't entitle us to sin." Poor Jude, Jesus' brother, step half brother. He got a whole book in the Bible and it ended up being one page. He wanted to talk about the salvation and all the wonderful things that 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 Paul elaborates on so much, and he got sidetracked. He said, I want to talk about those things, but I can't, because I need to tell you that. Some people have crept into the church trying to turn the grace of God into a license to sin. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's what he said in Texan. Translate that from Hebrew or Greek. No way, man. People that say they can do all the things that the Bible teaches against because they're under grace, they don't know what grace is. Grace is really inseparable from the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. John 1.17, which is the scripture from which we got the name for this church, says that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you're born again, you see, grace teaches us to live free from sin. But the motivation now is different. This is the key. I have, I can teach for a week on our motivation, our motives. And I probably will one day, but our motivation is different. We don't live holy now so God will accept us. We live holy which is just means in love. People are scared of that word holy. I say, well, are you scared of love? Oh, no, I love that. Well, holiness is love. Because the Lord says, if you're walking in love, you won't break any of those commandments. If you really love your neighbor as yourself. So let's just, if we need to, we can just call it love. But we live holy, we live in love We live in agreement with the Word of God because God has accepted us. Because He shed His blood for us. Because He has already made us His children. 
written our names in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Lord. We are thankful. And now we live in agreement with God as a fruit of our salvation, not the root. Not as a means to obtain relationship with God, but because of the relationship we already have with Him. Amen. You see the difference? Because it means everything. Well, you say, I have to live holy either way. So what's the difference? Everything. (laughs) If you're trying to live holy to earn God's favor, you're still being legalistic. Right? Under the law. And you will fail, folks. And when you fail, and Satan's going to come, and who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. He's going to come and he's going to accuse you. He's going to condemn you. He's going to beat you black and blue. And your unworthiness, that feeling of unworthiness will come upon you. And your faith will be made void. And the promise of God of no effect... And you will end up running from God and seeking out those, those people that are on your level, because, or on the level you see yourself at. Because you don't want to come around all these hypocrites here and let them judge you. And that's really not what would happen anyway. You see what I'm saying? No, that's what, that's what that legalism does to people. It either makes you mean and judgmental or it makes you condemned. And what does condemned mean? What, when they condemn a building, it just means unfit for use. Uninhabitable. Which is the worst thing you can think of. It drives people to. But if you live wholly out of thankfulness to God, and then you fail, and you will, then you'll run to God instead of from Him. And you'll say, Lord, I dropped the ball right there, Lord. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to be like that. I want to do things your way. Help me, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to do things your way. And he'll say, okay, son. Okay, daughter. That's awesome. I already paid for that, you know. I'm glad you came and talked to me about it, though. Now, I'm going to help you. Now, be listening because I'm going to be talking to you about this. I'm going to help you through it. We're going to walk through this. We're going to get you out of this mess. I'm the fixer. (laughs) Let me fix you. He wants to get you to that place where you say, I am what I am and I do what I do by the grace of God. And love and out of gratitude for what He has done for me.
Can I just share one more thing with you? I can't think of a better thing right now. Well, maybe a few other things. I'll just say this one. Go to John chapter 21. I just want to show you a beautiful picture. Because I remember talking about Peter week before last and all the wonderful things that Peter did in his ministry. How powerful Peter became as a man of God. How raised people from the dead and healed the sick and brought thousands upon thousands into the kingdom of God. Was martyred and crucified upside down alongside his wife. And But you remember also that Peter denied the Lord three times on that fateful night before the rooster crowed. <laughs> And it broke his heart. It broke Peter's heart. And it made him feel condemned. Unfit for use. Matter of fact, John, the one who had a revelation of the love that God had for him, was the only one of spiritual employment at the foot of the cross, along with the Lord's mother Mary and the other Marys. You see... But Peter was off condemned. He felt like he was unfit for use. And so I love this in chapter 21 of John. This is the third time that the Lord appeared to these disciples. There were seven of them, and they had gone fishing. I'm just going to go fishing. I can see Peter now, head hung down. He probably wasn't very nice to be around those days. And we know he was a pretty tough fellow. He was their leader. He just wanted to go fishing, back to what he knew. Just, And they'd been out fishing all night. There were seven of them together, the disciples. And as the sun was coming up, they'd been fishing all night. And the day was breaking, it said that. Jesus stood on the shore. And he hollered out to them, had they caught anything? And I'm just going to say this in Texan so I don't have to read it all. They told him no. He said, well, cast your boat on the right side of the boat. And when they did, they couldn't pull it in. There's 153 fish in that net. Why did they say that? <laughs> it doesn't say in the Bible, but I'll tell you what the Lord showed me. Because I love numbers. And you know how he dealt with me with the number five for grace. One is the number for unity. One true God. Amen. Or for unity. And the number three is for the Holy Trinity. And when there's something really wonderful in the Word, you'll notice that whenever the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all mentioned together, it's like they all want to get in on it. Excited about that. That 153 fish, to me, shows that because of what Jesus had done, 
we had all been made one again by the grace of God. But Peter, look at verse 15. Anyway, Jesus had some had a charcoal fire going on the beach and he had some fish on there. And he told them, bring some of the fish you caught. And then starting in verse 15, this, this is just my, my favorite place in Scripture. I love this story. I call it breakfast on the beach. And I look forward to times like this with the Lord and uh, verse 15 of chapter 21 in John says when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you he said to him feed my lambs he said to him a second time Simon son of John do you love me he said Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time. See, he's undoing the three times that he had denied him. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, we like to laugh at Peter and have fun with him because he, in the, in the Gospels, before he received the Holy Spirit, and he made a lot of mistakes, stick his foot in his mouth, ready to jump into a fist fight or throw out a cuss word or something dumb. And it makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't think I don't think he's offended by it. But that's why I like to share, like I did the other week, all the wonderful things he really did in his ministry. Because he got it. But he got it after he was restored in love, you see. He wasn't trying to earn anything from God after this. He was doing it out of love for the Lord. Because of what God had done for him. Because of that restoration that he had offered him. Because of the sacrifice Jesus had made for him. Because of who he is and what he does and what he had done. And it compelled Peter to do marvelous things. Not legalism. But love. The grace of God. Boy, this is where I was going to get started again. But I'm going to stop right here and we'll just stop and start again. Did I make a point today? It wasn't me then, it was the Lord, amen. Lord, thank you for this word and for your love and grace. Thank you for teaching us and growing us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Thank you that grace and peace can be multiplied in our lives through the knowledge of you, Lord. And that's what we're seeking. We're seeking you with all our hearts because you sought us with yours. You bought us with your precious blood. And we thank you that we have celebrated that today by 
partaking of this Holy Communion and then eating the precious manna, receiving the Word of God. We believe this Word is from you, Lord, and that you love us and that you want us to know that we don't have to go about our lives worried about getting everything right, that we can rest in your finished work and your love for us And that will motivate us to do all the things and to be all that you created us to be without the worry and struggle and strife and fear of judgment. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all.